Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and your host of Homeroom, an international podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to figure out why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Samantha, a fellow film producer based in Baltimore, about her experience being a gifted and talented student and my experience not being a gifted and talented student. We talked about the role her family had on her education journey, what catalyzed her to focus on living out her own interests and goals, and our hopes of keeping certain subjects alive. Here is our edited conversation. So in school, I was in a lot of, like gifted and talented advanced placement kind of um, advanced classes from like as soon as they started offering those things um, in um, the American public school that I went to. And my mother was very on top of just making sure that I was able to maintain that status I think like thinking back on it I think that that was why she was so intense about um you know sitting down with me every day after school looking through my agenda book with me like making sure that I had every homework item um accounted for and done and like read by her it was very intensive um and we fought a lot about it because um it just didn't feel like there was a lot of autonomy in that. Um, Hold on. So um, did your gifted and talented education, was it like you got pulled into certain classrooms like throughout the week uh, with other gifted and talented students or, um, and you still had time to mingle with students who were part of the regular curriculum? Or was it like, you went to a separate like were you kind of closed off to um and like only were interacting with people who are gifted and talented does that question make sense um yeah i mean i think like the vast majority of my classes were um in this grouping so i was not in a very big school, but the people who were regularly in my classes were pretty much like the same 30 people (laughs) Um, in high school um, with a couple of exceptions like gym or things where there's not an option. So yeah, I I think most of my social interactions were with this this same group. Yeah. 
So I was on the opposite side of the spectrum. Like uh, you were on the gifted and talented like side and I was on the like learning disabilities side. Or um, I mean, not that I anybody around me knew that I had learning disabilities because I sort of masked them because I was scared to, I don't know. I don't know what my biggest fear was. I think it was just, I was going to be told that I didn't fit in even more, I guess. Um, and then like that fear of being stupid in front of my peers, I think was like the biggest social fear. And so like, but then later on in my life, I taught um, the gifted and talented program for three years at an elementary school. And, you know, it felt very revolutionary to me in the sense that I would have, I feel like because of the way that I think and, and the projects that I enjoy, I just think, oh my gosh, I feel like I could have thrived in that environment um, because there's just like so much attention and like uh, it's very much about self-expression and introducing you to new things and like drawing out who you are. Um, yeah, I also think that there's an element of like... Um, being amongst people who are similarly invested mm. in the class, like the students, um, I think that that makes a really huge difference as well. Um, you know, being amongst this this group of like 30 or so people that I was in most of my classes with, um, we all had very similar goals. Um, it was uh cool to be <laughs> uh working on things um mm. like there was uh social pressure to perform in a certain way um which maybe is not the case always <laughs> yeah and when you say social pressure you mean like um from peers right mm -hmm. yeah and so then, like, if I look back, right, at my own childhood, first of all, I don't think I would have been capable of keeping with my peers if I had been in that kind of program because I just wasn't completely there. Um, like, there was so much sludge in my brain, like a lot of brain fog and... I didn't really have a lot. So I was looking at um, my official academic records and there's a, there's an entry from like second or third, no, third grade or something. And it was like, she kind of asks for permission for things that doesn't require permission, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so there was just like a lot of cultural differences that I was navigating both from in the yeah. home and in, at school. And so it was really difficult uh, on all fronts. So I don't think I would have succeeded in, in an environment where uh, they had all these high expectations of me or even higher expectations of me. Um, so I'm glad, you know, uh, 
but I do wish that I had some kind of support when I was younger. And so like looking back at like these career, like these education trajectories, like we didn't really have the same experience, but we both enjoy things, similar things. And I think we ended up going to like the same grad program and um, working on projects that were either similar or were related in some way. We ended up having similar interests and we also kind of have certain similar personality quirks. Um, and and I don't, I don't want to say issues, but I think we also have similar <laughs> issues. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> to figure out how that happened. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're making me think of, you know, I, I feel like you and I are really encouraging of each other saying no to things. <laughs> yes, we're both. <laughs> Um, this is like a, a constant struggle that you and I both have is like mm -hmm. being able to say no to something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's probably a ton of different ways you get to having this issue, but, um, you know, for me, I feel like I want, I want to be. I don't know, just like thinking about it in the context of the conversation that we're having, like I feel a lot of social pressure to perform in a certain way um, and be known as a certain type of thing, be known as a problem solver. Um, and that results in me volunteering a lot to solve problems for other people. Um, I think in a way that most people would not volunteer to solve problems for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think mm. for you? What do you think sort of the, the source of this is? So as you're talking, I was like comparing, right? And I think like, I have been working a lot on stories the past uh, like four months or five months and like autobiographical stories and I think my entire life I spent trying to convince people that I wasn't stupid or that um, that even though I didn't fit into the mold of you know, like scientist or problem solver or, uh, or I didn't go into any of like the valuable professions, right? That I still was worthy, that I am still an important part of society. Please, please love me, right? I think that was kind of like my arc. And I'm realizing like, you know, my, through the help of my therapist, I'm realizing, oh, that was exhausting, like super draining. Um, and so I, like, if we're looking at specific, like, 
psychologically scientific words, right? Um, like I was constantly in fawning mode, constantly in fighting mode. Um, and so that's where I think my chronic inability to say no came from, you know, like, I will do this for you. So please love me after this, or please accept me or please think that I'm worthy of your time. And so I was constantly fawning, saying, doing things um, so that I wouldn't receive that kind of rejection that I've been terrified of for my entire life. And so that's where I think um, my thing came from. But, you know, I've been reading a lot uh, of things here and there. Some, like, actual articles and then others are, like, memes and things on social media. Um, but I've been reading uh, a lot of parenting-related things that say that people who are told or people who are, like, gifted or people who were told that they're very smart and very intelligent, very capable, they grow up with a lot of anxiety um, and they have a similar like mindset of, I need to maintain this sort of, um, this label that society has given me. I'm wondering, does that resonate with you? Do you relate with that? Yeah. Um, no, as you're saying that, like very clearly, um, I'm thinking about the trajectory that I saw myself on when I was in high school, um, being in this type of program and thinking about like what, you know, my next step was going to be after high school, where I was going to go to college. Um, you know, what seemed like the logical path. And um, I went to a state school, um, which does not have a great reputation. I applied to a lot of schools that I got rejected from. And I think I had sort of like a a realization like this thing I had been told my whole life that like I was on this certain path and I was gonna um you know follow in the footsteps of these other academics and writers that I was really inspired by um I kind of had to reassess um what that would be mm -hmm. and I think once I was broken from that um you know, everyone has like a, an adjustment period when they're going to college. But I do feel like I had sort of this moment to be like, okay, like maybe I'm not going to be this certain type of um, high achieving academic. <laughs> um, but like, what do I actually really care about? Um and that was sort of the point where I turned from literature to film. 
um because that was you know a, a thing that i really loved um and you know i really applied my um my more academic brain to film for a long time and um, was a, a curator and sort of like a historian of a certain type um, in time of filmmaking. Um, but like the more I realized um, that like a certain type of academic achievement wasn't really going to be my path eventually i switched into filmmaking which seemed like i'm i know to certain professors of mine in college um like academic historian type professors um wanting to be a filmmaker was like uh not a good thing blasphemy <laughs> um you know it was like a, a navel gazy kind of like why would you uh want to spend your time doing that when there's like all this important work out there that already exists <laughs> like mm. what are you gonna say who cares mm. um but as I was moving out of like the academic brain space. Um, yeah, it got me in, in touch with, you know, type of self-expression that I had long ago, like stopped thinking about. That's interesting. Uh, when you say, when you stepped out of your academic brain and you started to explore self-expression again. Like, just the way you said that. Like, I feel like, you know, one is right brain and one is left brain. And so it sounds like you were holding yourself to a certain way of thinking, which is very much like there's a fixed amount of knowledge, or not fixed, but there's an amount of knowledge and you know, like you're seeking the right answer and you're seeking like something within that, like the, the space. Whereas I feel like when you explain self-expression, it's more divergent, right? And it's limitless in a way. And it sounds like you really enjoyed things like the humanities and the arts. Um, and I'm wondering, do you think it was nice? Did you enjoy having like, you know, that kind of buffet uh, of like, oh, here are all the different subjects and you get to taste what you really enjoy. And then, um, you know, you can run with that later on in your life. Or do you wish that it was all, you know, like if you just had one entree and, um, and went with that, like, uh yeah no i i definitely think that um you need the buffet uh 
you know, to be a, a well-rounded person, but also there's a lot of opportunity for things to inform each other. Um, I also, you know, I loved biology. Like I really wanted to go into that more, but really the chemistry held me back. But um, like th there were a lot of different subjects that I think really uh, were of a lot of interest to me. History, they, they all informed, I think each other in a way that maybe you're not able to see in the moment, mm. but more so later on. So you do think that like some foundations are necessary uh, to, to achieve that like well-roundedness in a person. But you also mentioned that there are ways for subjects to inform each other, not necessarily like singled out as they maybe are. Um, do you have any immediate ideas that come to mind that you think, oh, it can be grouped this way versus how it was for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like things like, okay, well, something that maybe I would have enjoyed um, was I, I really like exploring my thinking through writing and there weren't opportunities to do that mm -hmm. in all of the subjects. Um, I don't know how you would do that, but like maybe that <laughs> would have been more engaging to me. Um, to try and think about biology in a more long form way. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm curious, like, so when we were younger, like we didn't really have, I guess, a I mean, you're younger than me, so maybe <laughs> actually, uh, but like, not that much, but like we, we didn't really have like computers that we would you know, take around at school. Uh, we didn't Correct. have a lot of access to technology uh, in school. I mean, I guess comparatively to other schools, maybe we had some more, but it was definitely not something that I think um, was a thing. And so at least not when I was teaching at that elementary school in the Gifted and Talented program, like we had lots of like video equipment and everybody had their own laptops. And so we explored writing, but in a very um, strategic way. Um, and so like, I'm wondering going forward, knowing how much access to technology we have and how much of it is growing exponentially every single day. Um, maybe even in the future for like your daughter, right? How would you imagine a classroom or a school that could allow for something like that, right? Where you can um, structure writing in a way where you're not just allowing somebody to do whatever they want, but that there's some form that there are some like metrics in place maybe, and there are some like productive ways for teachers to 
catalyze the writing or give feedback on the writing or if you think that's even a necessary component and like you know what would be the end goal of that um yeah i mean i think that being able to express yourself with words um is just like such a necessary critical thinking for me and i know that that's not true for everyone um my i'm generally i know people who are excellent critical thinkers who are not great writers <laughs> um but for me i think it was really important to like get my sense of understanding of the world by thinking it out in sentences to form an argument etc so i guess uh i i mean i i barely understand this but i i feel like there's a lot going in the air right now with um like ai and chat gpt and things like that that like i i hope that in the future people are still writing mm. um and able to think for themselves um i don't know writing always felt like a really safe place for me to like try things out um, I had some really harrowing experiences with um, being on like a debate team and like having to flush out an argument um, on the spot out of my mouth. Whereas like writing and rewriting and editing is like a very safe place for me to like figure out like exactly what I think <laughs> about something. Um, so I, I I do feel like that's a really sacred part of learning to me. And I, I hope that it's maintained, you know, despite the differences in technology. But I, I, I do understand it's also, it's only one way other people learn and think differently. So just my, my two cents. Thank you for tuning in to our conversation. Samantha and I talked a bit about our experience and or non-experience in the gifted and talented programs during compulsory education, and it made me think about why we have them. In the early 90s, Apple conducted a research project exploring how technology could enhance learning. They chose one elementary school for the study and donated one computer for every two students enrolled. Like many things in California, this school was progressive it was based on a constructivist educational philosophy that trusted children to form their own meaning and observations about life. When my name was drawn in a statewide lottery to attend the school, my mom thought, of all the things she needed to worry about, education wasn't going to be one of them. Many of my peers came from affluent families. Their parents were litigators, above-the-line Hollywood producers, had family trust funds, 
and could afford to take vacations every summer. I remember several of my classmates inviting me over to their mansions. Sometimes I would travel down long corridors to play with them in their hobby room or to a backyard where they had a waterfall attached to their enormous pool. Even though I didn't exactly understand why they had things my mother and I did not, I did know that I was not like the others, and that followed me to middle and high school. As soon as I graduated from the child-centered learning environment of my elementary school, the way I was evaluated as a student completely changed. I went from receiving feedback like asks for permission to do things that don't require permission and a wonderful storyteller and gifted artist but needs to solve problems on her own to letter grades and batch written comments like a pleasure to have in class or maintain satisfactory attendance. Rather than written feedback given to help me grow as an individual, grades and percentages were given to compare my worth against my peers. Dr. Carol Dweck, esteemed psychologist and author of Mindset, talks about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. People who have a fixed mindset believe their knowledge and abilities are limited. People who have a growth mindset believe they can grow their knowledge and abilities at any time. Based on this research alone, what is the reason we separate those who perform well on tests with those who can't? Our compulsory education system measures the success of its students on their standardized test scores. There are outliers and exceptions, but generally, students who have two parents and a dependable source of income do well on standardized tests. Students who don't, don't. If we don't want schools to continue widening the wealth gap, something needs to change. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram.